Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Santiago, Chile, with my new friend Steph Dyson of WorldlyAdventurer.com. Steph is a British expat who visited Santiago for a weekend, but ended up staying there for three years. She turned her local knowledge into a moon travel guide for Chile. In this episode, we talk about attending the Emil Performing Arts Festival, visiting the Human Rights Museum to learn about the horrors of the Pinochet dictatorship, and exploring Mercado Central the city's cavernous fish market that dates back to the late 1800s. You have these three interesting stories and so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Santiago. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Acorns is one of my favorite apps because it helps me invest spare change automatically. Every time I make a purchase with a registered debit or credit card, the transaction is rounded up to the next dollar. Then, Acorn invests these roundups in my personalized portfolio. Plus, when you shop at participating retailers or service providers, you can earn additional found money to invest in your future. Examples of current and previous partners include DoorDash, Liberty Mutual, Macy's, and FedEx. I've been using Acorns for years and love how much money I've saved up from all these small investments. Sign up using my referral link at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns to start saving today. Hey, Steph, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Today, we're talking about a country that I have not yet visited, but I've been really meaning to go, Santiago, Chile. Yeah, it's a fantastic country. I lived in Chile for three years and sadly moved back to the UK recently. But um, Santiago is an incredible city and I'm really excited to talk about why people should be spending time there because a lot of people come into the country and shoot down to Patagonia and don't see anything in the city and they are really missing out. Oh, absolutely. So what actually brought you to Santiago? I was traveling around Patagonia Um, which is another area that I I write a lot about because it's wonderful. And I arrived in Santiago, spent the weekend there, and then I met my now ex-boyfriend. So I ended up staying put. And it was an incredible three years of uh, really getting to know a city. So I really, really loved living there. Oh, fantastic. So if you had to describe the people or the city in just a couple words, how would you do that? I would definitely regard Santiago as underrated. I think that it doesn't have kind of the same excitement that you might feel when you think of Buenos Aires in Argentina, for example. Um, And it certainly doesn't have the kind of same architecture as you might get in Cartagena in Colombia. But yeah, it's, it's a city that has so many hidden sides to it. So I feel people should stop overlooking it. I agree. So if people are planning their visit, what time of year should they should they think about coming as far as the weather or if there's certain festivals or concerts or like seasonal attractions that they should really pl- kind of plan around? Yeah, I think with most of, of Chile, but Santiago in particular, you really want to be visiting from between sort of November through to March or April because this is the, the summer in the Southern Hemisphere. January and February is a very hot time to be in Santiago. Like we're talking sort of 95 degrees Fahrenheit. It can get up to during the day. It's very sort of dry heat. But it's also a good time because all of the people living in Santiago 
leave the city for their summer holidays. So actually the metro is uncrowded, all of the attractions are quiet. And there's also this great festival called Santiago Amil, which is a performing arts festival that goes all the way through January. Loads of outdoor activities and performances, dance, music, theatre. So yeah, January can be a really good time. But if you're not so good with the heat, I would suggest spring or autumn months as being better for you to visit. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, if they're gone, then obviously you're going to be able to possibly save some money because maybe it's that off peak season on, on pricing for the hotels and, and flights. But yeah, like you said, you gotta, you're going to have to dress uh, very lightly to make sure that you can not get too sweaty while you're there. Yeah, totally. But it's a good time to go to the beach as well. I mean, there's loads of beaches in Chile. They're only a a sort of an hour or so's drive from Santiago. So it's a great time to kind of combine different things on your trip. Okay. So if we're planning our trip to come come there, how do we get there? What's the major airport? And then how do we get from the airport to the city? Yeah, so Santiago's only got the one airport. That's the main international airport for the country. Um, And it's got from the States pretty much all the main carriers, American Airlines, United, Delta, Fine to Santiago. And then to get into the city, you're best off organizing in advance a taxi. There can be quite a few taxi scams in the airport. So you do need to be careful because I've heard of people getting scammed out of money and, and things like that. So you want to pre-book a taxi, make sure that you are getting into that correct taxi and not being enticed in by somebody posing as someone else. Oh, sure. Yeah, it can be pretty bad, actually. And also, Uber is actually illegal in Chile. So it is not a wise idea to try and get an Uber in the uh, airport. I do use Uber when I'm traveling around the rest of Chile, but the police have a tendency to hang out at the air at the airport and try and uh, pick up Uber drivers. So you do not want to be t- trying to get in one of those. You There won't be any problems with you, but the Uber driver will have their car taken away and you really don't want to experience that. Yeah, that does not sound like a good way to start out the vacation. No. You mentioned pre-arranging a, a ride from the airport. You know, for a lot of people, this may be like one of their first trips internationally. What's the best way to be able to pre-arrange that transportation? Yeah, so to get from the airport and, and pre-book a taxi, um, there are a number of different carriers. One of them is Trans VIP. Another one is Delfos, that's D-E-L-F-O-S. Both of those companies arrange both shared minivans, which are a bit cheaper. They're about $10 a person to get you into the city, or they can arrange private taxis. And it should take you between sort of 30 minutes and an hour, depending on the traffic and also depending on where you're planning on going. But both of those have websites and you can easily book them in advance. Just as you get out of the arrivals area, they've got desks there that you can book your taxi. Okay, yeah, that's good. It's good having that desk there. That way it removes some of the frustration or the confusion of that international travel, especially for some people coming into a, a place where I presume that in, in Chile, predominantly Spanish is spoken there. Yeah, and Chileans don't speak an awful lot of English. I think it is improving. Another option actually as well that I would highly recommend is there's a company called Miles and Smiles. Um, And again, they have a website and they have really excellent services for driving people around, um, not just from the tap from the uh, airport, but across the country. And they speak really good English. So they're another option if you're sort of nervous about communicating and want to make sure that the first part of your trip goes very smoothly, then they're a good person to reach out to. Fantastic. And so, you know, some people 
are very prone to wanting to, to rent their own car and things of that nature. Do you recommend people renting a car or should they avoid that? If you're just visiting Santiago, I would strongly not recommend it. I've driven most of Chile and the majority of the country is, is very calm and the driving is fine. But in Santiago, it is an absolute nightmare. I, I haven't driven anywhere like it. And I just don't think it's worth getting a car. The actual public transport is fantastic. They've got a metro system that covers pretty much all of the destinations you'll want to go into in the city and costs hardly anything. I think it's about half a dollar to ride on a journey. And that's the easiest way to get around. I think getting a car is great if you're planning on visiting places out of Santiago. But for the city, you're much better off just relying on the public transport. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. When we're thinking of now we're we're at the airport, we're getting our transport to the city, where should we stay within in Santiago? Are there certain neighborhoods that are maybe we should stay away from or that are really advantageous that we should we should try to book in that area? Yeah, so some of the most popular areas are La Stadia and Bella Vista. They're both two quite small neighborhoods that are pretty close to the downtown central part of the city, but they've got lots of facilities. There's loads of restaurants, really nice bars, there's loads of hotels there. So they're a really good option. And they're also just so close to the central square, um, Plaza de Armas, that they're a great sort of walking distance to most of the places you want to go to. Another destination that I really love is a little bit further south, but it's connected to the metro and it's called Barrio Italia, the Italian neighborhood where all the Italian people first settled. And there's a wonderful hotel called Casa Sur, Charming Hotel. And it's this really beautiful boutique hotel that has a handful of rooms, but the owners are so wonderful. They've done lots of traveling themselves. And honestly, it's one of the best hotels in the city. So I would strongly recommend that if people are looking for a really cozy kind of alternative place to stay. That sounds like a good place. Once we're there in town, what are some of the things that we should make sure we do while we're there? I think most people will start off by wanting to visit the Plaza de Armas, which is the the, the central square. Um, and it's where some of the oldest buildings are in Santiago. And it's also the location of the pre-Columbian Museum of Art. So it's basically packed full of incredible pottery, textiles, and all sorts of incredible pieces of artwork that have been found across Latin America that predated when the Spanish arrived. And it's honestly one of the best museums, I think, in in Latin America for these pieces of um, architectural significance. So I would strongly recommend going and spending a couple of hours wandering around there. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, learning about the history, especially, like you said, a lot of the pieces are there before the Spanish arrived. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that gets forgotten a lot in Chile, whereas Peru and Bolivia and other parts of the continent are quite known for the fact they have a large indigenous population. I think people forget that about Chile. It's a very modern country, and a lot of the population looks European, but there are big pockets of indigenous people, and there's so much history in Chile that I think you'll you'll miss if you don't kind of actively go and seek it out. So it's a great place to start and learn a little bit more about that, the incredible history of the people who were there for millennia. Oh, for sure, for sure. Okay, uh, what are some of the other things we should do while we're there? It's great for people to go and check out the markets in Santiago. One of them is the Mercado Central, the central market. And it's in this beautiful building that was actually made out of cast iron. And it was 
brought to Santiago by the British in the late 1800s. We have a tendency to build stuff out of cast iron. And it looks a bit like a train station. It's all very strange. But it's an incredible fish market now. There's lots of fish restaurants there. They're a little bit overpriced, but it's worth just going and wandering around and checking out all of the, the fishmongers. And it's also right next door to La Vega, which is one of the biggest markets, I think, in, in Chile. And it's a huge food market. There's loads of little stores where you can get Chilean dishes and empanadas, which is pastry filled with cheese or with beef or with fish. And yeah, it's just so vibrant. And I think really introduces you to the fact that whilst Chile comes across as this really European, this really modern place, there's still these incredible pockets of kind of traditional life that you can go and be part of effectively. Well, I mean, that's uh, such a cool experience to be able to kind of uh, have both in the same city like that, where you can have some of that modern but you can go and explore and understand some of that that local flavors as well. Yeah, totally. And I think that is one of the reasons that Santiago is such a cool city because you just there's so much tradition there that people just don't know about. And I do think that you could really dive into that if you know where to look. Okay. Let's see. Let's talk about a couple of the other places to, to visit there. There's the um, uh, La Chascona. Yeah. La Chascona is basically the former home of Chile's most famous poet, Pablo Neruda, who was Nobel Prize winning back in the 70s, I believe. And he basically has three incredible houses, one in Santiago, one in Valparaiso, and one on the coast. And basically, he was really known for, A, his extremely left-wing poetry, but B, for his incredible sort of whimsical designs. He really enjoyed collecting beautiful pieces of pottery and glasswork and all sorts of different things. And it's a really beautiful, very unusual house. And it's worth taking a, an hour to sort of wander around and, and experience it. That sounds really fun. It's really great to kind of see where that creative process happens. You know, I mean, I sit at my desk in front of large computer screens and stuff like that, right? So it's a completely different experience versus somebody that's so creative like that. Yeah, and he he really enjoyed all the good things in life. He threw these incredible parties with all the intellectuals of the period. He traveled all around the world. He was actually forced out of Chile for a while because of the dictatorship. Um, so he had incredible life and a very interesting history. He was also a bit of a womanizer, and you learn about that on his on the tour around the house. But he's just a fascinating character, and he's a really important part of the Chilean identity. A lot of people really they still love Pablo Neruda. He's a very important person in, in Chile. You mentioned there a little bit about the, the dictatorship, Pinochet, uh, correct? And I think with that, there's a museum that's there that kind of talks about some of that portion of the history in Chile, right? Yeah, it's the Museo de la Memoria y los Derechos Humanos, which is the Museum of Memory and Human Rights. It's an incredibly powerful museum because, again, I think a lot of people forget that Chile spent close to two decades under a dictatorship. And whilst a lot of the time that's not something that local Chileans will speak to you about, it's still an exceptionally raw subject. I do think, again, if you want to really understand the country, um, you should spend a good afternoon in, in this museum. And it covers pretty much everything that happened 
from the start of the dictatorship to the referendum that decided to remove Pinochet from power. And it's very moving. There's lots of videos and audio commentary and and different things from the archives from the period. And I, I don't think you can understand modern Chile without having visited this museum. No, that's great to be able to to understand where they were and what they went through to get to where they are today. And I'm sure that, that gives a, a great perspective as far as like the mindset for all the Chileans. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, one of the, like a lot of times I travel with my kids and when people think about South America, at least I don't necessarily, but I don't really think about snowboarding or, or skiing or things of that nature, but there's actually a, a ski resort that's actually not that far from Santiago, correct? Yeah. Santiago actually has access to one of the best ski resorts in the whole continent. It's called Valle Navarro and it's got a 2,800 hectare ski ball area and it is fantastic. It's There's so many different ski runs. There's plenty for sort of all different ranges and abilities and it's also within a couple of hours drive from Santiago so you can pop there for the day and come home again. That sounds wonderful. I look for any excuse I can to get on the mountain. <laughs> One of the other things that, that Chile is really known for is some of their delicious wine. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe a place or two we should go visit to be able to sample some of those wines? Yeah, definitely. I have to admit wine is one of my favorite things about Chile, so um, I can definitely share some thoughts on this. What's so interesting about Santiago is that there are a lot of vineyards that were actually planted within the city's walls or within the sort of area of the city a few hundred years ago. So they're now actually in still inside the city. They're just in residential neighborhoods, which means that you can actually go and visit them using the metro, which I don't know. I mean, that seems pretty unique to me. And it also helps with kind of logistics because you can go and do some wine tasting and then take some public transport home, which is always handy. One that I would really recommend is Vina Santa Carolina. It's very accessible. It's got some really beautiful old buildings, an incredible wine cellar, and the wine is really, really good. I would strongly recommend their Cabinet Sauvignon or their Carmenere, which is a, a grape varietal that is pretty much only grown in Chile now. Um, I think there's a few vineyards with it in France, but it's really uh, unique to Chile and it's very delicious. Oh, yeah, my mouth is watering just hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if we can't make it out to one of the wineries, what are some of the restaurants maybe we should go and have a meal and enjoy some wine to, to pair with it? Yeah, I think there's so many places to try wine in Santiago. So you don't even need to leave the, like, get on the metro to go and uh, try it out. One of my favorite places is called the Polvo Bar de Vinos. I mean, I wouldn't look out of place in New York. It's very modern. It's very slick. It's got a really interesting menu. When I was there, we tried sea urchin, which was so, I, I never thought I liked sea urchin, but it was so delicious. It sort of melted in my mouth. I have some really interesting lamb dishes there as well, because the Chileans traditionally eat quite a lot of lamb. And it's also got one of the biggest wine lists in the city. Um, and it's all organic wine and it's just really very interesting and the the waiters there know everything about the wine so they can give you some sort of suggestions and it's just a really really fascinating experience well, that sounds wonderful i mean i think you're a little more adventurous than i am i don't know if i would try sea urchin i don't know i may have to drink a lot of wine before i get to that point this is the perfect place to do it then because you can <laughs> you can combine the two there we go before we get into the final countdown 
what other place should we try you know, if we're looking for maybe a dessert or another meal beyond you know, the wine pairing? Well, what's really interesting about Chile and actually about most of Latin America these days is there's some really exceptional, fancy restaurants that have been popping up all over the place. The most well-known one in Santiago is called Borago. And it's basically a very innovative restaurant where they do sort of 12 plate tasting menus. And it's all kind of really random ingredients that you've probably never heard of in your life before. But it's one of those things that you kind of have to try it. And I think it's the 26th um, best restaurant in the world. And by US standards, it's pretty affordable to eat there. It's a lot cheaper than if you were eating in fine dining institutes elsewhere. So that would be a really good choice. If you're a little bit less adventurous, there's a place called Ambrosia Bistro, which has some really good food. Again, it's one of the sort of top chefs in the country, but it's just a bit more casual. You can go there for a very affordable lunch. You're looking at probably about $40 for a sort of three course meal. And it's a good way of really learning about the kind of interesting blend of food that all these Chilean chefs are offering, because a lot have been trained in France and then brought a lot of those techniques back to Chile and used them with their local ingredients. Oh, that sounds amazing. Steph, I really appreciate you sharing all these great tips for for Santiago. Uh, Now it's time for the final countdown. Somebody only had time for one meal in Santiago. Where should they go and what should they eat? Santiago has this incredible restaurant called Pomayen. And it's basically a restaurant that specializes in in indigenous Chilean food. So it's really fascinating breads and dishes, meat and fish and everything from the Mapuche and also the people of Rapa Nui, which is also known as Easter Island. If you just wanted to get a flavor for what Chile means in a few dishes, then that would be the place to go. Oh, fantastic. I think it's one of those things that when you travel, you get such a unique opportunity to, to try foods that you can't find anyplace else. Yeah, and these are dishes that even local Chileans have never heard of. So it, this isn't typical Chilean cuisine, but this is really fascinating, really local food that, yeah, you genuinely won't be able to try anywhere else in the world. That's what it's all about. So you lived in, in Santiago for about three years. What's one of your most memorable stories? It actually was kind of in the last few months of me living there and I um, went on this tour to visit, visit Barrio Franklin. So it's basically the old meatpacker district and it's another set of markets and you can basically walk around and there's all these street food carts and there's just bric-a-brac from everything. There was a lady who was selling clothes that had been used on Netflix shows that you could buy and it was just bizarre. But the best thing about it was that we just wandered around and there was this really famous Chilean artist, Alejandro Mono Gonzalez, who basically was a, a leftist street artist who painted murals against the dictatorship. And he just has a stall and he sells his work there on the stall. And it's just one of those things where you realize you're meeting somebody for an icon from Chilean history at this market. So it was just absolutely wonderful. I think that says a lot about Chile, that you can just kind of stumble upon really quite famous people in the most random places. Yeah, that's wonderful. Speaking of like good experiences and, and fun times, where's the happiest happy hour in Santiago? There's this place called Azotea Matilde, and it's pretty hip. It's quite young. 
but it's a really great place to go for a cocktail or for a beer because effectively to get there you have to take an elevator up to the top floor of this random building and it's just on the roof and it's got incredible views of the skyline. Chile has a beautiful skyline because it's got the Andes Mountains in the east and then you've got the skyscrapers and everything as well and it's just a really cool place to watch the sunset. The temperature in Chile is pretty pleasant throughout most of the year so it's a really nice place just to sit out while it's still warm. That sounds wonderful. I mean, I, I can imagine just hanging out there and, and uh, maybe we leave the kids behind. <laughs> My wife and I just <laughs> go up in there and relax and, and enjoy it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I always do whenever I travel is uh, I, I eat pizza because I eat like a four-year-old sometimes. What's the best place for pizza in Santiago? Santiago actually has some pretty good pizza, which is good for you. My favorite place is called La Fabrica. It's a really strange place. It's outside of the center of town, but it's on the metro, so you can get there pretty easily. And it's effectively an Italian restaurant with really, really good pizza, really good wine, really great puddings. The tiramisu is incredible. And it's also the home of the legendary Club de Jazz, which is the oldest jazz club in the continent. And you basically pay for your table. It's about $5 for it and you get to watch the jazz show. And it's normally really experimental. Sometimes it's kind of old classical jazz. There's so many different, you never really know what you're getting. And it's always an incredible evening. That's one of the things I love about traveling. It's like hearing about those type of experiences that you just really can't find anyplace else. That's really awesome. Yeah, the thing I love about this place as well is you can just go there for the dessert and a glass of wine to watch the jazz. So you don't even have to go for the pizza. You can just turn up and enjoy the music. No, absolutely. But if there's pizza, I'm going to eat it. So (laughs) (laughs) obviously you travel a lot. You're in England now. You live in Chile for a few years. Uh, What's one of your best travel tips? I think I always say this to people and I know it's easier for me to say this because I travel for my job. But I think that travel is at its best when you slow down. And I think that particularly with Santiago, like I said, people rush through. They might spend a couple of hours in the city, but give it a couple of days. Try and see fewer places on your trip and you'll get more out of each of the ones that you do. That's great advice. When I used to work in a corporate finance for a bank, it was one of those things where you had limited vacation days. And so you're, you're trying to cram in as much as you can just to kind of like almost like check off a bunch of things off the list. And Unfortunately, you're just like you're not going to experience things as deeply as you should when you when you do it that way, and that's a great advice. Steph, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your tips for Santiago. I learned a lot. Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and if they have questions about Santiago or or what it is that you do? What's the best way to reach you on social media? Sure. So I am a travel journalist, blogger, and guidebook author. Uh, I've just finished writing Moon Chile, which is a guidebook, first edition guidebook about the country. And it's available to purchase right now for pre-order on all your favorite bookshop websites. And it's coming out on the 14th of this month. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, my preferred channel is on Facebook. So you can find me through my blog, which is worldlyadventurer.com. And that's Worldly Adventurer on Facebook. All right. Well, we'll make sure to link to all those in the show notes. Steph, I really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Steph for coming out to the show and sharing your tips about Santiago. Show some love by visiting our Facebook page at Worldly Adventurer. 
or buying her moon travel guide for Chile. Send me a tweet at We Travel There to share your favorite thing about Santiago, Chile. All the links we talked about today can be found at wetravelthere.com forward slash Santiago. We want to say thank you to Acorns for being today's affiliate partner. With Acorns, you can invest spare change automatically on every purchase that you make. Plus, you can earn found money by shopping at participating retailers. This is a great way to easily build up your travel fund. For a limited time, when you sign up at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns, we'll both earn $5. Join us next time as we head to Chiang Mai, Thailand to speak with a new friend Tom Liebelt of smartbrandmarketing.com. Tom and I talk about flying lanterns at the Yipeng Festival, visiting elephant sanctuaries, and gorgeous temples filled with history and reverence. We hope to join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you subscribe. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.